0: Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free.
1: Listener supported WNYC studios.
2: Hi, it's Manoush and this is new tech city and that, Painful yet familiar screech is the sound of a key getting cut. The other day, I had to pick out a new front door handle. And it made me wonder, why wasn't I even considering getting a digital lock? I do almost everything else with my phone. Why not open my front door?
3: One of the weird bits of commonality I found between the digital space and the physical locking space is that there is no such thing as absolute security in either realm.
2: That's Glenn Doreen of Consumer Reports. We'll hear about his attempt to make a switch from the most ancient technology out there, the key... To new digital locks. But before we do that, though, I want to turn to New Tech City's Ilya Meretz, who's sitting with me here in the studio. Hi, Ilya. Hi, Manoush. Okay, so Ilya, the other day I visited a friend who has a beautiful backyard and he just put up these really nice, but high wooden fences. And he said the ultimate homeowner cliche to me he said, yes. Good fences make good neighbors.
0: Robert Frostman, he's never stopped being (laughs) true. Uh, Manoush, you asked me to come here today to look into the question of whether Airbnb makes good neighbors. Uh, This is probably the hottest fences and neighbors issue in New York City at the moment, and it's actually playing out in a lot of other cities around the country and around the world. And at the heart of it is the question of what happens when people figure out that there's money to be made renting out their apartments to tourists.
2: Now, wait, let's just remind everyone, Airbnb is a website that helps people rent out their home for a night, like a hotel. And I bet a lot more people here in the New York, New Jersey area are considering doing this because the Super Bowl is coming up up. And like you said, there's money to be made.
0: Yeah, I actually did like just a a cursory search of apartments, Airbnb listed apartments around Penn Station. And I I found several had a significantly higher rate for Super Bowl week, which is coming up. So um, maybe you want to do that, dear listener. (laughs) But what's really interesting here is that uh, current law seems to forbid short term rentals when the current resident of the apartment is not present. So New York City really throws up an obstacle to using Airbnb. And a lot of other cities have similar laws on the books.
2: So if I'm not there when I'm renting out my place, then that is illegal, essentially.
0: Exactly. And in a lot of cases, that is the form that renting on Airbnb takes. Despite that fact, Airbnb is this really easy to use software. There's all this social trust that we've established through Facebook and and eBay and processing all our transactions online, so why not book an apartment that way? About 15,000 New Yorkers, maybe more, are now hosting strangers in their homes, some of them just occasionally, like for the Super Bowl, some of them like on a rolling basis. Uh, People like Chris, he's a musician who doesn't want his last
1: name to be used. I have cleaning people that can do the cleaning for me, but I actually prefer to do it myself
0: most nights of the week chris rents out at least one of the two bedrooms in his west side tenement
1: this is a bedroom here this is where i used to live while the apartment
0: is nothing special the location is great and chris goes the extra mile for his guests
1: when they're coming in i have them send me their flight information so i can actually track the flight so i can see if their flight is delayed and or once they're
0: settled in chris periodically checks in with a text message to make sure his guests are having fun in new york chris himself doesn't actually live here anymore at all. A couple of years ago, he met a woman and moved in with her in Williamsburg. With a Manhattan lease still in his name, Chris tried Airbnb and found he could make around 100 bucks a night on each of the two bedrooms. Chris and his girlfriend have since broken up,
1: but Chris would have
0: a hard time quitting
1: Airbnb. At the moment, I, I am quite dependent on it. I mean, it helps pay my rent in Brooklyn, which is not cheap. But for
0: all the Chrises out there embracing their inner hotelier, there's a growing number of people who have seen Airbnb up close and absolutely hate it.
4: Take them down. They pretend to be good citizens, but they're not.
0: Ken Podzaba owns a few buildings in Nolita, which he inherited from his parents. Being a landlord is not his passion. He cares a lot more about his day job, running a nonprofit that teaches people how to ride bicycles. So he never expected to snoop on a tenant install surveillance cameras, and hire not one but two private investigators.
4: Because it's so not me, (laughs) you know? It's like, how did I become that guy?
0: But here we are, looking at a still from a video taken inside 250 Elizabeth Street, Ken Podziba's building.
4: The, The private investigator refers to this individual as unidentified Asian female. It looks like she's actually taking the garbage out. It looks like a garbage bag.
0: This surveillance began a few years ago when Podzaba got some strange news from his super. The tenant in apartment number three had plastered over her front door and built in an entirely new door.
4: And I said, holy, I never heard of such a thing.
0: Podzaba's lawyer advised him to immediately start videoing the hallways. And Podzaba quickly figured out that apartment three had become a kind of hotel, charging 250 bucks a night. With the money she earned, the absentee tenant did more illegal renovations, like installing a dishwasher to make the place even more attractive to visitors. Podziba took the tenant to housing court. It was four years before he succeeded in getting her out. In the meantime, he estimates she made half a million dollars. But he's saving his anger for
4: Airbnb. They see how lucrative her business was, and they refuse to take it down. So they're not good guys.
0: Which brings us to the attorney general's subpoena. If the AG gets the full three years of records he's requesting, hundreds, maybe thousands of similar arrangements could be exposed. City codes forbid short-term rentals when the tenant isn't present. And Chris, the renter we met earlier, is worried.
1: But he hasn't stopped using Airbnb. That's why I have guests still coming, because if I'm already in trouble, like I need to at least make money to pay the fine that I'm going to get.
2: <laughs> Wait, so he needs to make money to pay the fine that he's going to get? That's like getting another credit card to pay off your first credit card.
0: This is what is so crazy when you start to look into Airbnb. It's deep into people's lives. Like quitting Airbnb would be really difficult for Chris. But here's another dimension that I found kind of interesting. At the end of my interview with Chris, I asked him what he would do if he were in Ken's shoes. That is, what if he were a landlord, he owned a building, and he saw somebody renting out the apartment all the time and doing
1: a lot of stuff that he didn't like. And Chris's answer kind of surprised me. To that landlord, I would say, good. Like, they shouldn't be doing that. This is your place. And you are considerate or attentive enough to notice what's going on. Okay. So then I reversed it and I brought the question to Ken and I said,
0: okay, what about the Chris's out there? Chris is responsible, upstanding. He is attentive to his guests staying in his apartment, even if it's not quite really actually legal. And Ken's answer also kind of surprised me.
4: I don't really blame individuals who do it. Everyone I know feels like they deserve more money. I might do it myself.
2: Gosh, so this is really where the tension is. I mean, if they both totally get the other person's point of view.
4: It, I don't know. Could, yeah. they have
0: like, could they have like a summit in Albany, get, you know, get a bunch of <laughs> landlords and tenants and neighbors and and Airbnb hosts, get them all together and agree on new ground rules for the sharing economy? I don't know of a place where that's actually happened. But I do think, like, if you put these two guys and, and, you know, representatives of the other industries, like, on a blue ribbon commission, uh, maybe they could come up with new rules of the road. Who knows? Because I don't think the sharing economy is actually going away. Airbnb and its rivals are so easy to use. The money involved is so good and, frankly, pretty easily made. So... I think it would be worth really revisiting the laws and asking what's going to work best for everyone.
2: Ilya, thank you so much. Thank you, Manoush. Whether you're renting out your apartment with Airbnb or just letting friends stay for the weekend, wouldn't it be nice to not have to figure out how to get them a key? Well, that's what digital locks are for. They're in hotels, dorms, offices, but chances are they're not on your front door. Why not? Glenn Doreen is head of electronics at Consumer Reports, and he tried to see if he could make the switch from this ancient technology to the new.
3: I think it will evolve as sort of a second wave of the smartphone. So I think what's going to happen is that suddenly you want everything to operate with your smartphone and it becomes almost an irritation when things don't operate with your smartphone. It's
2: like kind of like iPhone as jackknife instead of iPhone as entertainment in a way.
3: Yeah, yeah, you know, your all-purpose tool. So,
2: I mean, it seems to me that, like, on the plus side, like, you don't need to give your parents a key if they arrive earlier than you do, and let's say you have a babysitter who's picking up the kids, but you don't want to hide the key outside, or uh, you could change the PIN code for the contractors, right? I mean, it sounds like it kind of frees you up in a way.
3: In In the lock business, I looked into all this. They call it access control. So... You can send an electronic key, for instance, to a phone and then that phone via either Bluetooth or over the internet unlocks the door and... All that's well and good. You can And you can cancel those keys. You can make – with some systems, you can make them time-coded so that during the day when you have contractors working on your home from, you know, 8 to 5, for instance, the door that key will work. But when – after that time, it won't. So all those things are great. It's really flexible. You can – when the, the, you know, relationship with your significant other dies off, you can suddenly erase <laughs> their code and then they no longer have access to your house, no changing of the locks. And it's worth mentioning some of these locks work via your cell phone. Some of them work – via a keypad. Some of them are sort of a hybrid of both.
2: So which one did you decide to install, and was it tough to do?
3: Well, it depends on how you view it. We did the Yale. There's a, a Yale Real Living. There's They have a whole series of these locks. Um, it installs like a normal lock. Um, however, the look of it is far different. They look quite elegant on the outside, um, but on the inside, it's like having a big brick on the inside of your door because it must house the mechanical parts. It must house the batteries. Um, the circuitry, uh, most of that is on the inside.
2: So it's not that good looking.
3: Well, it depends on which side of the door you're on. Right. Okay.
2: <laughs> and and the new ones that you've seen recently, how are they different?
3: In fact, it's interesting. Some of them are literally like Kickstarter um, startups, August, Goji, Lockitron. Uh, these guys are, they've come out of nowhere. There are very few conventional lock companies out there. This is, it's suddenly like startup fertile territory in a way that I never would have guessed an old sort of staid technology like locks would be.
2: Now, tell me about that moment when you first unlocked your door without a a key.
3: I would say that that was not as momentous as the f- moment that I first closed the door behind me without bringing my key, uh, mm. which was, you know, a bit more sort of ominous because you think, I, oh, I, you know, I don't want to have to smash my window to get back into my house. Um, so. Right. Getting back into the house is not that big of a deal, you know. You type the you type the key code. Um, but did and, it have you that? Know, it s- le- you know, there's
2: some satisfaction when you slide the key in and like it turns smoothly and perfectly and makes the right click. I imagine that's kind of gone. That sort of sensual opening of the door.
3: Well, there is a different sensual opening of the door. One which where you you know you type the keypad and then you hear the mechanical little whir that goes. Mm-hmm. But it, it, in, for the most part, it's been reliable, uh, with one notable exception.
2: Which was? I
3: don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but have you ever had a battery explode inside a piece of electronics? Where yes, they, you my kids' that? toys. Yes. So essentially, what they don't prepare you for is that a catastrophic failure. It's a it's it's a battery leak. I would have had. I only had one door on my house. I would have been completely and utterly locked out. But I have a back door, which also has a digital lock. But I'll tell you the one thing that everybody asks you when you it's like you don't even have to cue anybody. They always ask you, "Aren't you afraid that hackers are going to hack your lock?" And. Well, initially I was afraid of that until I really gave it some thought and took a good look at my door. And I don't want to, you know, give anybody ideas. But I have a window right next to my door. And hacking a, you know, an electronic key-coded system is probably a lot harder than throwing a brick through my window.
2: So do you think if we all had these digital locks, whether they are a pin code thing or on our cell phones, would the world be safer? Mm.
3: Not necessarily. Uh, in fact, uh, I talked to a, uh, a, a lock expert, Mark Weber Tobias, and you know what he said? He said he's managed to pick the, the, these locks. Most of these things have a, uh, have a conventional key in uh, right next to it anyway. He said he's managed to pick them the same way that he's picked any other lock.
2: Okay, last question, Glenn. Did you keep sure. your digital lock
3: I did. And you know why? Because my wife now likes it. Um, And I will do anything to make her happy. And and she, you know, we joke that we actually don't know where our keys are anymore. So I don't think we could go back if we wanted to.
2: Glenn Doreen from Consumer Reports. And you can see some of the new digital key technology that Glenn was talking about, plus read a brief history of that hunk of metal you carry around, the dear old key, On our website, NewTechCity.org. And hey, let us know if there's something you would like us to cover. Listener Matt Evan Cohen wrote me saying that I should check out an article called The Unexotic Underclass by CZ Nameka. It questions why more tech isn't being used to solve day-to-day poverty and struggles. Shouldn't all these young tech entrepreneurs be working on solving society's problems instead of coming up with yet another way to stream music or post a selfie? Thanks for reaching out, Matt. It's a great question and certainly something we'll be touching on in the months to come. We've got a link to that article on our website, and you can also email me there. I also always respond on Twitter. I'm at Manoush Z. Have a great week. Thanks for listening. Our key to the future.
3: Nice line. (laughs)